0: Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast that helps you understand how to increase the value of your business, what your company is worth, and what your exit options are. Host Ryan Tansom and his guests give you all the information you need to get clarity and control over your business and take pride in a valuable company that gives you freedom and choices to exit on your terms. Welcome back. This is episode 195, and we're going to be talking about how the biggest source of conflict in family businesses and truly any business is the ability to separate W-2 roles, and so the management role and salary, from ownership so many businesses, family owned or not, hit their ceiling because the owner and founder cannot figure out how to separate their ownership role from their management role. And because so many owners don't truly understand business valuations and how to identify what their biggest asset is worth, they end up solving interpersonal problems and all the intangibles that they have with employees or family members. They solve them through payroll and through salaries. And salaries become the default mechanism to quote-unquote treat everybody fairly or to keep the peace, when in reality, this can be one of the most toxic mistakes that any owner can make. Bend through it, live through it, I watch it every single day with our clients, and Think about it. If you're an A player, how motivating is it if you're getting paid 120 grand, and so is your freeloader sibling or so is that person that is mom or dad's best friend or has been with the company forever? This comes down to figuring out how to identify the value that people are bringing, paying them the correct salary for that and separating that from the ownership. And then also think about it from the, the second generation or third generation. If you're that A son or daughter and you are going to be growing the value of that company company, if the business is going to be passed through the estate plan all equally and everybody's getting paid equal salaries, what's the motivation to grow the value and to work through all those conflicts? If you own a family business, I urge you to stop solving problems with payroll because I do truly believe at the bottom of my heart that conflict can disappear once a business owner understands how companies are valued and then how to separate that from management roles and salaries and then put in the clear boundaries so that way people are getting paid for the value that they bring and then they're growing the value of the company and then the estate and buyout of the ownership is completely different than the day-to-day pay. What we're going to be talking about today is how the three circles of a family business can be used in conjunction with the five intentional growth principles to make all this possible. So who's going to be on the show today? Her name is Sarah Stern, and she grew up in a family business, and she had a short run in corporate America before she decided to dive headfirst into working with family businesses on a daily basis. She became the director of the Family Business Center at the University of St. Thomas here in Minnesota Very. very reputable firm and has helped hundreds of business owners over the years. When she started, they only have 20 members, and now they've got hundreds of members. After years of growing the Family Business Center and then wanting to level up her game, she got her EOS certification and then has also become the founder of the Sage Pages, which is helping family businesses choose and hire the right advisors so that way they don't get fleeced by people that have not been there, done that, or actually work with family businesses on a daily basis. So Sarah brings an enormous amount of expertise experience, and real life stories about working with family businesses, I truly wish I would have been able to engage with her, the Family Business Center, when we had our company 6, 10 years ago, because we would have probably avoided a lot of arguments and had a completely different outcome. A couple of the things that you're going to learn in today's episode is the three circles of a family business model, which is ownership, business, and family, and what's going to go into each of those circles and how they all intersect. You're going to understand what the Matilda impact is and how to use that to address a family freeloader. You're going to learn why 90% of first-generation business owners fail at separating themselves inside of those three circles, you're going to learn why fair is not always equal and why that's a fantastic statement and philosophy to run your family business on and why the successful family businesses that beat all odds and pass through three, four generations and make it into the 3% group of successful transitions, what they've done and how they've used the three circles, and then how to lean into the conflict that you're inevitably going to have. Because once you identify how to separate ownership From management, identify what the company's worth, identify roles and responsibilities and salary and pay, you're still going to have to lean in to hard conversations because if someone's a freeloader, that's what they are and you need to address it, manage it, and then figure out how to move the entire company, business, and family forward. I obviously love this episode because grew up in a family business and all these stories resonate. So Sarah and I have an absolute blast talking about this together. If some of these challenges are resonating with you, I highly suggest you check out our Intentional Growth Digital course. It's five and a half hours of videos that are the highlights of the live two-day bootcamp. We launched it a few weeks ago. It's nine ninety-five, so it's all yours. You can do it yourself. You get all the learnings from the five principles about how to grow value, valuations, deal structures, all the different exits, all the value drivers, literally crash course, mini MBA on value growth and exits. Check it out. And then if you want to hire us to guide you through it over 30 days, you can sign up and we'll have four coaching calls over 30 days. And then we'll be going through all your exercises. And if Looking at the future and valuations and value growth is just still a little out of reach because of the cash flow issues you're dealing with. Check out the Mastering Your Cash Flow video series that we have. It's three hours. It's on 13-week cash flow statements, on annual budgeting, revising your forecast, and then how to build value growth. It's 95 bucks. comes with all the templates, all the how-tos, and the instructions. Very, very useful and something that can help you get to the point where you can intentionally grow value. So without further ado, I really hope you enjoy this episode with Sarah Stern. Sponsored by Arcona's Growth and Exit Boot Camps. Two days jam-packed with material on the five growth and exit principles and the world of mergers and acquisitions. You'll walk away knowing exactly what steps to take to get your target valuation and your best exit option. Two days at Arcona's Boot Camp will give you the clarity to control the rest of your journey as an entrepreneur. Sarah, how are
1: you? Doing great.
0: How about you, Ryan? Well, you and I are both, I'm literally staring at the snow. So anybody that's not Minnesota does not <laughs> care. But you and I were just complaining because it was 60 degrees on Easter Saturday. And now it is 20 and snowing while we're quarantined. So this is going to be fun human interaction. <laughs> I'm looking forward to.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: um, oh, yeah, I think we're over it. And I, I, I'm i excited to get into this conversation because you and I were just chatting. you got a lot of experience in the family business world um from one of the local universities in Minnesota, but then also um with your EOS practice that you built out and then you actually even launched a a, a new platform that I'm excited to hear your reasoning and your why behind. Um so I think we'll have plenty of things to chat about from the family business perspective. And I, I think there's gonna be a lot more items that I'm gonna add to I wish I would have list. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well so <laughs> great. Let's uh you know Let's go and give the listeners a little bit of your background, Sarah. Like how did you how did you get into the the interest behind the family business industry?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, it started. I I grew up in central Wisconsin in a small town where every adult who had a job was either working at the school or the hospital or running their own family business or working for one. In many, many ways, that was very, very true. And uh, my dad and uncle uh, ran a business together. My mom and aunt helped out there. And then, of course, the kids did. I assigned myself to wash the bathrooms at that business. I uh, had good friends who owned an orchard and we would help pick strawberries and whatnot. And I picked strawberries next to sets of cousins whose parents were fighting over who lived in which house. So, this is part of my growing up and just what I thought the world of business was. Grew up. Uh, went to college, started thinking about what I wanted to do in the world. And after a long journey, realized that, the, in my opinion, the best way to have a major positive impact on the world is to work with the owners of family businesses. In my experience, they're the best employers. They tend to be very attentive to their communities. When they're great employers, their employees are happy. When their employees are happy, those people's kids are happy. When those kids are happy, schools are happy. So this is where my passion lined up. How did you find that out? And I. Oh, gosh. I mean, it's a lot of uh, missteps, I would say. But the part that sounds really... Oh, my gosh. If you can edit this out, that'd be great. But anyway, (laughs) the way I found it out is this. Here's what I knew. I I wanted to make a positive difference in the world. I thought maybe teaching might be the way to do that or being a doctor or something. But I ended up finding executive coaching. And a lot of the people I coached, of course, were business owners or leaders. And I just kept seeing that the family business owners were so invested. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I went and worked at Target for a while, which came out of a family business. And I saw the fingerprints of a family business's thinking, even in this publicly traded business. Oh, no
0: kidding. That's an interesting perspective. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, I really felt working at Target like um, their horizon was well beyond the quarterly earnings call. And for me, anyway, I connected that back to them being an Mm -hmm. entrepreneurial um, effort of of a well-known family business in Minnesota that, well, still has ties to the community and does a Mm -hmm. lot for the community. Um, And I, I liked my work at Target a lot, but missed the experience I had had as a coach and ended up leaving there and going to St. Thomas, where I ran the Family Business Center for six years and got to turn that program around. And at the first event I had there, there were, I think, 18 people there. And I've heard um, the last time they could have in-person events, uh, there were close to 250 people there. And hopefully they'll get to be in person again not too long from now.
0: So, it, which is super cool. And it's a resource that, that where I was saying I wish I would. Uh, like, yeah, I don't even know how yeah. prominent that was when I was in the, in our family business now that it's been a while, why don't you get like, there's probably so many things that you learned while you are there. And maybe before we dive into it, it's up to you, Sarah, whether you want to ex- kind of explain your EOS and the sage of what you're doing now, and then we can go kind of go back into it. But I'm curious and like how, you know, how you, your journey went as you're at to Thomas, but once you kind of get, once you finish your kind of the, the other couple of things you're doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll talk about that a little bit. So I was running the Family Business Center and all these family businesses kept telling me about this book called Traction by Gina Wickman. My view of my job at the Family Business Center was to protect the family businesses from the flavor of the month. So probably the first 10 people who mentioned it to me, I said, oh yeah, 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 whatever. Then I finally picked up the book and said, oh my goodness, this is exactly what family businesses need. Um, It's clear. It's direct. It's practical. It helps them run a great business. It helps them be clear about who should be doing what, what the expectations are. So through that, I ended up becoming an EOS implementer. I ultimately left St. Thomas in the Family Business Center. And uh, just next month, I will uh, celebrate five years of being an EOS implementer and focusing on working with family businesses, uh, primarily in Minnesota. It's
0: such powerful work. I I think what's interesting and and maybe we can kind of figure out how how this comment takes you with the the material is like I I find Sarah, like the the biggest challenge that my dad and I had or people that come through our boot camps or our clients is that this concept of like ownership versus management roles and separating like, or like, okay, estate planning, buyouts, transitions of the financial matters happen on the ownership versus like the W-2 incomes of people. And I find so many people try to solve all their problems through payroll instead of through ownership. And and so like, I know that's a blanket comment because it probably ties into all your experience at the, 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 the center as well as EOS. So like, what are some of the biggest challenges? Like, how does does, it, does that resonate with you? Or, I mean, I just think that that's such a huge. It
1: absolutely does. I love how you put that. Solving problems through payroll. That is, I if you don't mind, I'm going to borrow that, and I will give you credit. That is, that's so good. Uh, I'll, um, I'll, I'm going to talk about the Sage Pages here a little bit because it's connected that and, and then I want to actually talk about a tool that I think is so valuable. So I've just recently started uh, a, another business called the Sage Pages and it's an online resource for family businesses to find the best advisors, advisors who really understand them and will hold them to a high expectation and advisors also who will bring in other advisors when they're needed. So unfortunately, there's a lot of advisors out there who think, oh, well, I can help with the conflict, and I can help with the finance, and I can help with the legal, and I can help with everything. And Just, if bill me. Just you let me bill you, that. and I'll be fine. Right, yeah. right, right. And you know, you can pay me $450 an hour to help you stop fighting with your, your son. Sure, I'll figure that out. Um, that worries me so much. So I have a big, big, big passion around educating family businesses to serve themselves well and to make sure they are served well. And the Sage Pages grew out of that. Um, I'm also putting together the best resources for family businesses so they can get the education they need and in a way that is practical and includes tools they can use right away. And I wanted to go to that and then back up to this tool. So probably my first day of work or before I even started at the Family Business Center, I found the three-circle model of family business. And um, any of your listeners can Google this unless they're just like me and they're driving. So Google it later. But the three-circle model of family business is a super simple looking tool. It's a three-circle Venn diagram. The bottom two circles are your family and your business. And then the top circle is ownership. Hopefully the way I described that made it quite clear to you, but that solving problems through payroll, I think a lot of family businesses only think of those three circles as the business circle. Yeah, And they want to solve all the family issues and all the ownership issues in that one circle, or they've just collapsed those three circles, the family and the business and ownership into one circle. And they're trying to manage everything through that. Every family business I've ever put that model in front of has said, oh, or something like that, right? Like, Oh, there's a separate set of priorities and decision-making and tools you use in the family circle. And those are separate, separate priorities and tools from what you use in the business. And then of course the ownership circle is a completely set of priority, different set of priorities Mm -hmm. and tools uh, that you need to employ to make great decisions. And I like to say this, the ownership circle, that circle's job is to maximize opportunity for the family and the business right? The ownership circle should be thinking about the family and the business, maximizing opportunity, whatever that looks like. Often it's a financial opportunity, but not always. It's also the ownership circle's job to minimize risk for the family and the business. Mm-hmm. And that's a big job to maximize opportunity, minimize risk on both sides. And at least when you say solving problems through payroll, I think of what I often call the Aunt Matilda issue, <laughs> where <laughs> I think you know where I'm going, yeah. right? A family business will employ Aunt Matilda because Aunt Matilda is having a hard time in life and they can just give her a paycheck, but then she comes to work, she doesn't do anything and all the other employees get mad. They want to quit and the business goes downhill. But hey, we took care of Aunt Matilda. It's solid gold intentions, but taking care of Aunt Matilda financially is really a family priority. It shouldn't be a business or an ownership priority.
0: You, you nailed so many things there. And I think, it you know, it... Now, I want to kind of explore too, Sarah, about like how does this happen and why does this happen and how do we yeah, yeah. people get out of it too? Because as we built out our boot camp education material and all of our material, we actually had to address this because we kept realizing like people, like people just. Don't know how to decouple the two. And what I find yeah. interesting is my, my partner's a CFO, right? So, like, it's super like columns and rows and zeros and ones. And, like, well, there's the ownership and then this is how much it's worth. And, like, it, and I'm like, but that's not how everybody thinks. <laughs> and so, yes. like, so, like, we actually had to go through and separate this. And we actually, in our diagram, we have the freeloaders which you mm. know, technically those are addbacks, and you can normalize your EBITDA. So like, even like how it, how that Venn diagram, if you show it from a financial perspective, it gets all muddied too, because if they're not necessary, it actually increases the value of the company. <laughs> so like, yes, it's super interesting of like, when you start to really figure out, I like, I'm curious on like your years of doing this, what are the major issues that come up or, or not, maybe not the major issues, but why? Did, what are the major factors that lead into the solving through payroll? Like, What, what are your observations? Of the, is it the lack of knowledge in certain things? Why does that actually happen?
1: Uh, I'm going to say, I mean, the list of reasons could go on and on, but I'm going to narrow it down to two things. One is leadership in each of the three circles. And the second is a lack of vision for the three circles. And this is what I mean. For the family, the family really needs a leader. The business needs a leader. And the ownership circle needs a leader. And I'm going to make up a statistics here, right? Because 9 mm-hmm. out of 10 statistics are false. <laughs> um, <but laughs> or I should say 9 out of 10 statistics are made up. And that's yep. what this is. So, But I'm just going to make it a sum up. 9 out of 10 first-generation family business owners, they are the leader of the family and the business and ownership. They just are. They're one person. They founded it. Um, if the business was founded in 1955, Dad was probably the leader of the ho- household, or so he thought, right? I'm using generic yep, yep, statements yep. here, right? But they were the leader. And then they, there's not a sense of seeing that um, really it's valuable, um, especially as a second generation comes in to start to separate that thinking. So it's just, it's, there's lack of seeing the need for separate leaders. And by leaders, I'm just going to slow this down a little bit. By leaders, this is what I mean. The leader of the business is there to run a great business that meets the needs and expectations of the owners. Mm-hmm. And, and often people think that the leader of the business is there to, re, to meet the needs and expectations of the family. Mm -hmm. but it's Mm -hmm. actually the owner's needs they should be thinking about. And that's a fine difference, but it's really important.
0: Well, and let's actually in for, for vernacular, you know, kind of interchange a couple of words too. It's the ownership needs, but it's truly the value of the company, right? Like, because the more, like what we keep, what we preach is like the more valuable of a business you have, the more choices you have. And until like one of our big, like, phrases is you have to shift your mindset away from annual income. So maximizing your K1 or your distributions to long-term value creation. And once that shift happens, it's easier to like talk about ownership of who actually yes. owns this thing. But what, what happens what is so interesting is like, you, you talk about the first gen where like, There's so much ego wrapped up into like, I built this and I have this and I created this and I employed these people and like, I get to willy nilly do whatever I want with my distributions because it's all being focused on solving for annual income instead of the other way around.
1: Absolutely. And that's where I say, I think where this issue comes from is not clear leadership and not clear vision. Because if your business leader which might also be the owner, but, you know, but Mm -hmm. let's separate it, right? It's better. It's more clear when it's separated. If your business leader is focused on, you know, the needs and desires of ownership, ownership's needs and desires typically are much bigger than annual income. Mm -hmm. It's a legacy they might be trying to accomplish here. It, it probably is around money, but it's probably around long-term value. And what does that mean? And that's a legacy in my book. So, yep. Yep. um, the other thing is people, um, lose sight of this that, is, and, and for just for fun's sake, let's say the leader of a business is the CEO, the leader of a family also has a role. And that is to keep the family from always and only talking about the business. It's to keep the family focused on things like, um, are, do we have traditions? Are we maintaining the the glue of our family? Because times go Times are tough sometimes like right mm-hmm. now and family businesses can really succeed during these times because a lot of them have this family stability and that leader of the family, that's often their role. And if the leader of the business is the uh, CEO, the leader of the family also is. They're the chief emotional officer. Mm-hmm. That's so- a big
0: role. I'm curious, yeah, and I because I, I'm in total agreement with you in in like the concept of the three circles and how you're how yeah. you're breaking these apart. So, say you're like when you have someone that comes to you and doesn't get these things, and it's all literally in one big blender, how do you start? piecing it apart. Cause like, you know, I went through it and I watch other people that go through it and it's usually miserable conflict or an out of the blue offer or some big like catalyst from the outside that puts undue pressure on the family and the business that forces conflict to have them figure this out versus going, okay, like we can start building this puzzle before that kind of stuff happens. How do Mm -hmm. you start, how do you lead that breadcrumb trail to people really understanding it?
1: It's, it's almost always just what you said. There's some pain point that happens. Out of the blue offer, family member gets sick, somebody threatens to quit, uh, somebody gets tired of running the day-to-day, right? You know, there's always a pain point. And that, I mean, isn't that true for anything? <laughs> Right? So we need to paint our house because the garage door needs to be painted, right? The garage door is the thing that's making us do it, right? So I often, what I've noticed is families come in with one of the three circles as a point pain point. It's either our conflict has exploded and our family's not talking to each other. Something's wrong in the business. It's not profitable anymore, or it's just too darn hard to work, or we can't figure out what leadership succession should be. Or, on the ownership side, we're lost. We're just not even sure what we want, or we're trying to figure out how to transition from one generation to the next. And probably obvious, when a person comes with a business, uh, when the issue or the pain point is on the business side, that's when I bring in EOS or the entrepreneurial operating system because it's just a such an elegant job of getting clear about who's running it, who should be there, who should be on payroll, who shouldn't be, and where are we headed? Right? Clear who the vision is, clear what the vision is, and clear who the leaders are. If they come in on the family side, I mean, this is kind of connected to my passion around um, the Sage Pages. There's a person I send everybody to, if they if they have so much conflict, they can't talk to each other. There's a person I send people to to just get to the point where they can talk again. And then they can come back to me and we either do the, the EOS work or I have some work that I do with people around ownership as well about getting the ownership group clear about what is that legacy. What are they trying to create? What's the big picture of what's happening here? So, in,
0: which is awesome because I agree with you that they probably have some sort, I mean, there is a pain point that's probably surfaced, but like, well, how many times do you see it, whether you're back at St. Thomas uh, Family Business Center or in any of these conversations where they bring up what they think the problem is and it's not even close to the problem?
1: <laughs> Gosh, let me think about that. <laughs> you know, it's probably quite often.
0: You can make up another stat if you want. Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) I'll say 12 times out of um, nine. There you go. um, You know, uh, so that's probably often true. But you know what I've learned over time is even if I think I see like, oh, you said A is the problem, but B is really the problem. Let's address A because before, if we use a good solid process, B is going to come to the top. Well, that makes sense. It, it does, yeah. and
0: I think you you hit the uh, a really important topic there is is the process, right? Because just telling someone that they're wrong is not the right issue, mm, yeah, and,
1: and typically doesn't work very well.
0: No, and like, and and being able to like what I like about what you're talking about at the EOs, it gets it once it's got the capacity. What's the org chart, right? Like, are they really truly necessary? And what I find interesting is like all this stuff is tied together, but then there's like this like perfect yin yang of like the financials and then the people problems because like you like there's so much emotion but that comes from a lack of clarity on the financials and vice versa where like unless you actually have that stuff separated and like people are just trying to solve for how do i make my money and how it works my wealth but they don't know how to separate all that stuff so like how do you how do you tie it all together because i think it's such a challenge where someone might have a problem with someone but it's because they don't know how that impacts the rest of the The variables.
1: Oh my gosh. It's so often. Well, here's an example I'll see to be generic about how this tends to go. uh, Dad will say, We we need to pay our daughter more money because she's running the business. And, you know, our son is sweeping the floor in the uh, warehouse. You know, she should make more money. And mom says, Oh, no, you don't. Both of my kids are equally wonderful and they get paid the same. (laughs) Right. And mom has a good point. Both of her children are equally wonderful. But here's what I often talk about is this idea that fair is not always equal,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: fair and equal have different definitions depending on the circle you're in. So I'll talk about the family circle, and in my opinion, maybe not everybody's, everybody should get the same amount of money or, or value of a gift for a holiday or their birthday. That should be equal. But fair is not equal, and it is not equal or healthy inside of the business. Uh, you should get paid for the work you do and what the market says you get paid. And then ownership is the same thing. I mean, ownership needs to be drawn up, not according to fair is equal, the way we think of it in the family, but it's what's the most appropriate thing for the legacy you're trying to build for your family. And for some families, it is. If you've got two kids, it's 50-50. But holy cow, that can cause a lot of problems, especially if one family member is much more capable as an owner than another family member, which is typical.
0: Well, and I agree with you. And I think um, another layer on top of that is like, you might have someone that addresses the right here right now, which is like, let's say you and I were brothers and sisters and we did have 50, 50 of the estate. But if you, if you were running the business and driving value, that doesn't mean that I will always have 50% of the future growth. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's ways to make sure that's tied to whatever is fair inside of that circle. Versus just, I mean, I watched too many times, Or You've probably seen it where someone, uh, the sibling like that, like you drove value for 10 years and I still own, I'm just a total free rider.
1: (laughs) Right. And and now I, the one who runs the business, I'm really mad at you and don't want to see you at Thanksgiving. And you who doesn't run the business can't figure out why you used to get a certain amount of money every quarter and now you get less. Well, Mm -hmm. look around, the economy went crazy or right, whatever, right? That sort of is it freeloader? Is that what you? The yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's so destructive to family relationships, and it kills off that opportunity that strong families have right now in a hard time to bring the family in to support a business.
0: Maybe you can kind of recite because I think they're fairly universal. But the the stats of business family businesses that go to oh, yeah. generation, I'd say that's pretty universal at this point. But like, maybe give some insights that you have from working with that many family business over the years, like what are they, how are they approaching this the right way? Like what are some yeah. signs of success and challenges as they're building this, this model
1: out? Yeah. So you're, you're referencing those statistics about how I, I, I think if I'm remembering correctly, only maybe 3% make it to the third generation or yeah. something like that. I've tried to unmemorize those statistics. Cause I, <laughs> some, I read, I read somewhere that, that they're not necessarily, um, Accurate, but it's very dramatic, right? So let's just say if 100 businesses start today, uh, three of them—only three—will be around um, by the third generation. That's, that's super dramatic. So, um, but the ones who are doing it well, in my opinion, are doing things like joining a family business center, or participating in boot camps, or looking to a, you know, looking to someone like you, or to talk about my passion and the Sage Pages. Right? They're looking outside of themselves for some help and some education. Um, and the reason I say that is not to just do three accidental advertisements there. <laughs> I really do care about I'll, these things, right? I'll, I'll
0: have it. It's all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: um, I promise you didn't pay me to say that, but I really believe this, right? Because here's what happens. Many, many, many family businesses think they're the only ones going through this. And when a family business joins something like a family business center, they come to see that everybody else is going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the biggest pieces, in my opinion, of success is they start to network and get really honest about what's going on and they learn from other people. So that's one of the biggest ones. Uh, the, one of the second um, biggest pieces is they get really clear about what they want out of this thing. And it's has to be beyond grandma started the business. I loved my grandma. I want to make sure her business doesn't die under my watch. Although that's a very...
0: Noble, very noble.
1: Um, on the hard days, like many business owners are going through today, it's hard to wake up for grandma's legacy. You need, you got to connect it to your legacy. What are you trying to create? And this is what I like to say to owners. Your legacy is defined by two things. One is why are you running this place? Why do you keep running this family business? That's complicated where you have family members and the business and ownership all in one. Why? And it's, it's gotta be beyond grandma started it. It's like, I really, an answer for many people is I love being an employer. I love creating great jobs. Okay. That's why. Right. Or I, I deeply care about Minnesota and our economic future. Okay. That's a why. It's tangible. Right. right. Yep. It's really tangible. It's about your own values and your own view. And it probably is part of the reason grandma started it too. So it's, it's got a line of connection. The second piece of your legacy is what are you trying to create today that you won't enjoy? yourself, right? It's going to still be here in a hundred years long after you're gone. To me, that's a legacy. When family businesses can create that and get clear about that, and I'll give you an example of around a hundred years from now. For, other, for some people, it is great education, great parks. Um, it could be a strong economy. Kind of thing, right? A strong mm-hmm. Minnesota, uh, you know, whatever that is. It could be um, wealth for the family. That might be the why we're doing it, mm-hmm. and you know, um, great benefit and great jobs to the in the community. It could be things like that, right? So when you have that clear sense of legacy, and then when family businesses are honest and have all the hard conversations they need to have to have great leaders, that's when they're set up. They're still going to have conflict, right? You can't have a business and you can't have a family without conflict. It's just guaranteed. <laughs> so, mm, yeah, if you don't like right,
0: it, get out right now. Go right. Go. If,
1: if, you, if you can't handle that, I don't know how you handle life, right? So, I mean, they're guaranteed. <laughs> but what you don't want to have is the conflict that ruins the business, ruins people, uh, the conflict that causes you know divorces or abuse or addiction, right? That's that's what we're trying to not have. Um, we know we're going to have conflict, but when you have that kind of clarity, then all those financial decisions become a lot more clear.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree. Right? With and, it's like it's, we
1: we will buy this building because it aligns with our values, mm-hmm. or we or our our legacy, or no, we don't need to own the building because it doesn't really align with where we're trying to go.
0: It's so good the the stuff that you're you're saying here because I mean I do believe that I mean the, the hard conversations you have to have those because I actually think that it's when people don't have them. Yeah. It, like it just festers, and that's what causes yes. all that other shit. <laughs> it's just like it is. Yeah, you know, it's the passive aggressive BS, and then like you just have to. It, it's really uncomfortable, and I think leaning into that stomach ache—it's <laughs> the only way to. <laughs> <you know. laughs>
1: that's a great way to put it. That is a really great way to put it, and you know that's part of the reason I like EOS, for example. It and you you touched on this earlier too. It creates a process that because you're committed to the process the conflict isn't personal yep. if that makes sense right you're committed to running a great business and in order to run a great business you have to have this hard conversation and so you do and yes it was conflict but you all agreed to do it
0: well I think it ties into what you're talking about with the vision too because like it, the only like the because we weren't running eOS because this is you know in early 2010 to 14 um, where it was kind of just starting at that point, but the, uh, when I was turning around and, you know, going through people and I mean, it was It went from toxic to an amazing culture, but the, when, what we did is we had, I'd point to the data and said, well, we all said that these were our unified goals. So like, if they didn't get accomplished, it was someone's fault. But like, it wasn't me, you know, bashing your, you know, sense of purpose or identity. It was like, no, no, like we determined that this is what was going to happen with inventory. This is what can happen with sales and it didn't happen. So that's what, that's what a process flushes out. And then it identifies the person instead of someone blaming the
1: person. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's not personal. I mean, it it might not feel good, but it's not personal it's not brother beating up on brother. It's not dad mad at daughter. It's we agreed to this. What the heck happened?
0: So I got a question for you of what you've seen with other multi-generation families on, um, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's interesting, it, cause you have kind of like two, probably a bunch of different flavors of second gen, but like you have some that are just like, okay, I'm going to come in there and just work hard. And then you have, mm-hmm. It didn't work hard to take this over and it's gonna be handed over methodically. And then I, I was part of this. I'm a raging visionary. <laughs> so like <laughs> um I came in with lots of ideas and I like not only were we were in turn turnaround, so I wanted like like you have this whole challenge of I saw the future of managed IT services and software and all these different things to transform the copier business, but like there's multiple challenges that I see with partners and family businesses where you have different visions that collide as well. So then the different visions then come into who's doing what, how are we do, how are we deploying human capital, how are we deploying investments, and then in like investing in the business and identifying our rocks. All that kind of stems down from the vision, and then also risk tolerance. Sarah, right? Like my dad was like, I want to start, you know. Clipping coupons and making more cash. And I'm like, let's let's hire more engineers. And he's like, no. (laughs) And so like it's it's like that problem of whose vision is it? And how do we transfer the vision? How do we keep evolving as a business? But also does that make sense? I think there's just how do you how do you unwind that?
1: (laughs) Oh, there's so many pieces to what you just said because part of it is a generational response, uh, and an age response, right? I don't know. I mean, is your dad I'm guessing a baby boomer. Yeah. No. <laughs> guessing, right? Here Cop, you are. Now copiers,
0: being- were, copiers were technology when he started the yeah. business.
1: So, of course, he's going to have one approach and he's thinking retirement and future. And I'm going to want my money sometime in the next five years. You're thinking in the next five He sold the business because he wanted 30. his money. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, there's just that going on, whether you're family or not. So, I see that all the time, of course. And, you know, I maybe I sound repetitive here, but that is, again, having those tough conversations as owners, and now I'm talking ownership circle, can you agree on what you want out of this thing? Can you actually agree on what you want? And then if you can agree on that, in theory, those financial decisions become a lot more clear, right? If it's just, we got to sell this thing, we got to turn around and and, uh, turn it and burn it as fast as we can, well, then that's one set of choices. Hopefully, (laughs) but it sounds like maybe you had a shared vision and you still had a different way that you wanted to go about it. But part of that then is owners saying, okay, we will give the reins to this person or this group, this group of people to run the business and accomplish what we're asking for. And that's what I often see in second generation, first generation, and often second generation assumes, well, if I'm going to own it or if I do own it, I have to run it. And that's just not true. Smart owners hire the right people to run the business. And that's not always right. a family member.
0: Well, and I think what's interesting, Sarah, is like as we built our built out our curriculum and our material behind the five yeah. principles, like the, the logic that like that comes from it is like, okay, what do you want? And then we yeah. know that those are, so that's the first principle. And then the second one is like, okay, well, obviously you care about the financials. Like how much is this worth? How much you collect yeah. from income? And like, are you going to be fine? So we have to layer kind of stack them on top of each other And then the third principle is the exit options. And whether you want to sell or not, it's like you can transfer your role differently than transfer your ownership. And I don't think people know that. And then it's like, because if you stack on your, what do you want then with your financial targets and you say, okay, now here's how my options for liquidation of my ownership and and my role, you can... Kind of build that puzzle however you want, and then if you yes. have a missing target, then you can build value to go get it. And I just don't think people get it, and they just argue about shit yes. instead.
1: It's <laughs> oh my gosh, I've I have um, that really key. How did you just say that? Uh, knowing knowing.
0: So these are the five principles, and yep. like, and it's so funny because you you know you're you're an EOS implementer, and like I didn't want to recreate what Gino did at all because I think he's a genius, yeah, and no, but then yeah. I was like. Taking this complicated problem of like all this crap that's out there. And so the five principles literally came into how do we unta- yep. How do we unpack it? So the first principle is what do you want? Like literally yep. legacy, family, business, all the yep. community. Now we have, now obviously they're financial issues. So we ta- yep. tack on, there's, okay. there's three of them. What is your target income that you want? What's your target valuation net proceeds? So like what's the company worth right. today and what do you want it to be worth? And then how does your outside net worth impact those decisions? Because it's a lens. You can't ignore the fact that some family businesses, they are owners, they might have tens of millions of dollars and they don't need to liquidate the business where some, the parents might need the money, which might yeah. limit the choices. So then you go in and say, okay, now I know what I want, what my financial targets are. What What are my options? And okay, down the road from, exit, from the exiting the ownership and transitioning your role. So you kind of take that, split of the management then most people are not satisfied so then they can grow value to get what they want Mm -hmm. but that's really like this i've been i'm curious on your input because i spent six years i went into this whole exit planning value building industries and owners have a visceral reaction to exit because i think they don't know this stuff sarah and like Cause like you could sell to an ESOP, make a ton of money and run your company and, collect, and make, you know, invest in your company and have a $250,000 salary for the next 20 years. And people just yes. don't know this stuff. Yes. <laughs> I,
1: oh yes. i finish what you were no, saying. I,
0: I just find it crazy. So we, that's why we literally changed the name of everything to intentional growth because it ties into people's ego instead of, cause actually people just think they're going to sell. And I'm like, it's so not the truth, but you have to understand how this works to build your plan.
1: Absolutely. This is I, I you're you're putting your finger right on a conversation that I participate in regularly. And it's people coming in with a certain set of assumptions. And it might be I have to run it, I have to work 80 hours a week, I have to go through all of the accounts receivable, right? J- just blindly <laughs> yeah. assuming they have to do all of those things or some version of that. And I think to the great detriment of a lot of people, their entire identity gets wrapped up in the business and they literally can't imagine what it would look like to work, let's call it eight to 12 hours a week and maybe start another business or hang out with their grandkids or <laughs> you know, oh, become a teacher or whatever they wanna do, yeah. right? It's, it's like, it's not even possible. And I think that thing and why I think this, podcast and what you're doing is so valuable is to open people's minds up to the bajillion options they probably have that they're just not, they don't have a concept of right now because they just think I have to do it just like grandpa did it. And he worked seven days a week for 12 hours a day.
0: And what you just said is like, so like if your identity is all trapped into this, what I think people think is like, I have to pass it on to my kids in some long drawn out drama filled non-profitable way, or I just sell the thing. And yeah. it's so like it's so unfortunate because like if you literally just run the numbers, which we do in our boot camp through the case studies, we're like you have ten million dollar business and revenue, million dollars in at times it by five is five million dollars, take away thirty-three percent for taxes, and then you pay down your debt and you walk away with a million two, and you are used to three hundred dollar, three hundred thousand dollar lifestyle. The math don't work. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, and so what happens is. People find out after the fact because the only way to sell their identity and move on was to completely sever it, like with like an umbilical cord. When they there's like hard work that I think the work that you do helps people unpack this because they can't just do it immediately.
1: No, no. I hear so many um, next generation leaders saying they won't let the business go. They won't let me run it, and it's true. But it's also like, of course they won't. What would they do with their afternoon if they let you run it? <laughs> What would they do? They don't know, right? And that's not easy work to wrap your head around. What does my day look like when I don't go in to a building that has my last name on it? That's not easy it, to figure it, out.
0: Or I'll even put one back to you and say, what do I do when I don't have a building to go back into that still has my name on it and I don't, yes. don't have the roles?
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah. Not easy. Not also, I would not say it's okay to stifle the next generation's ability to have their chance to run it. I don't think that's okay either.
0: How do you, how do you advise or what have you seen that's worked? Maybe is a better question yeah. on how people, if you're an owner that like, and, and by the way, this is, I don't devalue this or like, cause it's a real situation and, and perception is reality. <laughs> so like, this yeah, is absolutely real life problems. And I've interviewed too many people that have agreed on that. And so like, what, what successful things have you seen that people have gone through while they own their company to figure this out for themselves?
1: Yeah, I've seen a lot of things that were successful and I've seen a lot of things that were fits and starts. So, um, the successful things again is hearing other stories of when this goes terribly wrong in other family businesses, which often happens in family business center environments. Um, the other thing I've seen is the owner, uh, finds some sort of, um, new purpose. I know one family business who, the next generation had two members. One of them was very, very, very capable of running the business. The other one wasn't even terribly capable of holding a 40-hour-a-week job. <laughs> he, he had so many issues. He It wasn't uh. a good fit, right? And and part of it was uh, disability that he had. So um, what ended up happening is the third-generation owner let the fourth-generation owner run the business. And then he went and did this little spin-off with his other son that was absolutely at his... Capability level, like he started selling stuff at flea markets on Saturdays. Cool, right? I mean, very small scale. I don't know. The last time we checked, I think they made thirty five thousand dollars last year. But now this kid has a thirty five thousand dollars income that he created for himself. Cool. Instead of being the annoying guy at the office, right? So, so that was hugely successful. But what happened is that third generation owner found a new entrepreneurial place to put his energy because he loved that part of business.
0: And do you see like, I'm just, which makes sense. And it's like a great journey. Like I'm assuming, cause I, I think it a lot of this also like has to be done in, in, co- uh, in conjunction with the finances, because like I watch people stay in family businesses like that, that should do that. But they think yeah. the only way to get the estate plan is to stay in the business. So like, is there some yes. clarity that's brought to them? that says, Hey, by the way, you're still going to get this percentage of the business or that, you know, so-and-so is going to buy you out when they have the money or like, some sort of plan that frees them up to know that that's a possibility. Yeah.
1: So here's my little um, fantasy world I'm living in that I hope becomes a reality. I hope that the pandemic that we're all living through right now um, inspires people to get that to get their estate plans, their wills, their buy sell agreements, their bylaws, all updated, signed, and communicated.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, it's more timely and relevant than anything right now.
1: Right. And I really believe when people do that and when they do it with good advisors and good advisors, I mean, people who connect what those documents say to what the legacy is they're trying to create, right. Instead of just saying, well, here's what I tell all my family businesses. You have two kids, give them each 50. No, that's bad advising the question needs to be what is the legacy what are you trying to accomplish let's build all of your plans around that when that gets updated signed and communicated people have so much more freedom to make decisions
0: i want to i want to pull this because it's your sage mission right and and i want to I yeah, yeah, respectful yeah, yeah. respectful of your time if we got time to pull pull this thread I'd, I'd i'd be happy to because i i the the, the fifth principle in the intentional growth principles is your team of advisors. And we refer to the Mm. outside team. So legal, estate, tax, wealth, real estate, insurance, like kind of the the people that are out there advising you. What does good look like? And what happens if you don't find good?
1: Yeah. So to me, good looks like this. They do not take a one size fits all approach. They, They build your plan around what you're trying to do. I like to say to people, if somebody if you want to remodel your kitchen and somebody walked in and said, Oh, well, here's the kitchen I always do, you'd kick them out, right? You don't want everybody else's kitchen. You don't want everybody else's plan. And then that's that's the second piece there is um a great advisor is at the top of their game as far as their education, their continuing education. Uh, in their real life experience, they also have high expectations and will challenge you if you're about to make terrible, destructive decisions. So challenge To you. me, that's what great advisors are. Yeah. They'll say, okay, you're going to give the business to your two kids. One of them is great to run it. The other one has a hard time coming into work every day for good reason. Should they both own it? Is that really the right choice for you? A great advisor is going to ask that question and show you the many ways you might do the family thing, which is called fair is equal, in a way that's also appropriate for people's skill sets, abilities, and interests, right? So they'll push you on that and have you really think that through, and then they will encourage transparency.
0: So it, I think those are good, those are good um, attributes. I would also, I, another question would be is that you the challenge that I had before spending the last six years doing this is how do you when you don't know enough about estate planning or wealth or tax planning or any of that stuff, yeah. bet out the people that are full of bullshit. And there's a lot of them out there yeah. who just want to just say yes and bill your time or sell a product that you didn't know yeah. was driving the the motivation. And the Second part of that question is for, you know how do you so how do you figure that out and how do you vet out the good ones which I think you have an answer to but then also
1: mm-hmm.
0: I realize that there's a lot of advisors out there especially with the um, the big push towards this whole exit planning industry that these advisors yes. know absolutely nothing about your business so like they don't yeah. know what it's worth actually or they are advising you when all the wealth is trapped in the business. The wealth manager is now giving you advice about how to run your business and ERP systems and you know, accrual versus cash and like they're just not uh, they're way out of their lane. Not to say that some of them might have dual dual education on that, but there's this whole mm-hmm, crossover mm-hmm. of like the outside advisors that are dealing with your technical infrastructure, and then there's the business consultants. Does that make so that's kind of the second yeah. part of like making sure there's people are staying in their lanes, but maybe start with like how do you determine who's the right fit?
1: Yeah. So I'll say one piece and on the sagepages.com, it shares our philosophy, which is about eight pieces that you look for and you can ask a person, right? Do you have a standard one size fits all approach to this? If the answer is yes, that's all you need to know. Don't. Now, they might have a standard approach they would use with you that says, you know, we're going to start by gathering all of your information and then we're going to talk about what you want to do. You know, that's good. That's their great process. They're going to work you through. But if they have a standard answer for you, no matter what your industry is or what your legacy is or what you're trying to do, it's a bad idea. Run as quickly as you can. They're very disrespectful in my opinion. So follow that philosophy of making sure they look at your business and your needs in the right way. And then the second piece is, um, and, and part of that I should say is, are they wanting to know your values and how you like to do stuff? That's really important. So, um, and then do they have experience, right? Do they have actual experience doing this really worth the extra cash to have somebody who has the, how,
0: how do you, what What have you seen that people do? That's good. Where like, I, I go back to, again, it was seven, eight years ago, but I'm younger and I'm looking at all these people in suits. I'm like, well, you must be really smart. And then as I've yeah. been doing this, <laughs> I'm like, I mean, one of the top CPA firms here in town didn't know what a 330H10 was, 338H10, co- totally could have saved us a couple million bucks. And the, we were their third oh. third acquisition ever, even though they got 200 CPAs. And so like you start to go, that's total, that sucks. So many, on so many fronts where I think there's just, like kind of what the EOS gets it once has got the capacity, getting the capacity and understanding yes. like, have you done this? And what, how do you, like, if these owners haven't gotten the technical, you know, education that you or I, or the people that in this industry have, how do you vet out the people that are really good at listening and persuading you that they care, but don't have the technical backing?
1: So that is my deep, passionate plea to people is please take the, the slow down up front to ask these questions. Have you done this before? What did it look like? Let me be honest with you. I've never done this before. I'm paying you because you have done it before. Ask around, see what the references are, really dig in on that person. And then also, if you don't feel comfortable asking them those kinds of questions, that tells you something. Mm-hmm. That relationship is not going well. You have to be able to bear your soul to a lot of these advisors in order to get great advice.
0: And get them to collaborate. I, I, no,
1: by the way, don't bear your soul to your banker, but everybody else bear your soul, <laughs> right? So.
0: <laughs> I will I will uh I will totally second that statement.
1: Yeah, right. Tell you them know, you are so fine if, if, and, yeah. and
0: that you need an increase line of credit.
1: <laughs> right. We're doing great. Good to see you. How are the kids? See you later. But um, but um, But if you don't don't even feel comfortable to ask them and pro and say, how have you done this before and what would this look like and talk to me about what my experience will be working with you, if you don't even feel like you can ask that, that right there is a clue that it's the wrong person. And then what you do is you call your friends and your neighbors and you ask for references. You check out the stage pages. You call a person that you do trust and ask them who they would recommend it's not easy. I mean, same thing, right? Like how do you find a great person to remodel your kitchen? Same idea, right? If well, you I can, have t- the I can nerve tell you to say to somebody, every way, right?
0: I, every way. To <laughs> how how not to not to, oh my God. Literally yes. with right now. Yep. Yep. It's
1: same idea, right? If you can't say to a contractor, I need you to walk me through this because I, you do kitchens every day and I do kitchens once every decade, right? If you don't feel comfortable saying that to them, they're probably not the right contractor. Mm-hmm. Same idea here. And then in uh, my opinion.
0: It, yeah, I agree. And, and and I know we're running short of time, so I apologize. But the it, it's yeah. a maybe we could do a second version of this about the team of advisors. Because, <laughs> awesome. Well, I just think yeah, that like there's good. a there's a lot of advisors out there right now because there's this perceived industry of exit planning, but no one knows what it is and it's how do you pay for it? Yes, yes. yes. A lot of these advisors have been moving into like, hey, I can help you with your business, and they shouldn't be. Or the, there, there's a, there, there's some people that can I, the the analogy I would give Sarah is that the only people that I've met thus far that are capable of like it giving advice on operations in a business and the financial structures of things are private equity firms because it's they're using mm. a business as an opera, as an investment tool right and again I would even argue mm. that a lot of them haven't run their own businesses so it's still a challenge but like you, you know what I'm saying yep. there's this whole like. Oh, you know, I have had attorneys give business advice or wealth managers or you know, CPAs. And it's like, well, have you ever fired your VP of sales and how does that work? And how do you do like it's just a whole different animal of like the the operational strategy she should be applying? I mean, are you seeing lots of cross pollination there or am I kind of making this up in my head
1: or no, I I don't think you're making it up, and I agree this this really worries me because there is this perception of this multi-billion dollar opportunity of helping businesses transition. I think a lot of people jumping into the pool, not with their eyes completely wide open. And one of my strong, strong, strong beliefs is advisors should be willing, one, should be willing to get fired. They should not be yes men or Mm -hmm. women. Mm -hmm. Um, And number two, they must be willing to bring in somebody to help in the ways they're not good they just have to. And if they're not willing to do that, they're a bad idea. You know, why I certainly should not be giving financial advice to any of my clients ever. <laughs> <laughs> As yeah. an EOS implementer, I am really good at helping them figure out numbers that should go on a scorecard, but what lever to pull financially, that is not my mm. that is not what they pay me for and I should not make comments about that. I'm not a HR expert. Mm-hmm. I'm not a, um, marketing expert, but I can do a hell of a job helping them get a really clear marketing strategy. Great at that. But execution, if I think I should be doing that, I need to be fired. <laughs> so that, I, that's or a big bring someone in, I we share right? a big concern. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. I think I can do it, bad idea. I know yep. great people who can yep. come in and do a much better job for less money than me. I should do that. And I think
0: that's what, and we'll wrap up because I know you got to run is, you know, yeah it's connecting dots for and resources to accelerate people's path to the right resources to get them to their yes. goal. And there's a lot of noise out there. And it's extremely... There's a lot. There's a lot of good reasons to shell up inside of your turtle shell. <laughs> and if you're the owner, yes. when it's just like, you know what? I'm just not going <laughs> to deal with this. So what yeah. is... Give us the... How do you find the advices? What's your recommendation between... Um, If you're an owner, what, like, how do you go connect that's to you? Where do we find you? What's your, what's your big takeaway?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. um, Come find me at the Sage pages. It's like the yellow pages, but a wiser way to find an advisor. The philosophy is there. You can get a hold of me there. That's probably the easiest way you can find the Sage pages on LinkedIn or Sarah B. Stern on LinkedIn. Um, I'm happy to help people figure this out. I'm passionate about it. I want them to have respectful and competent help and I'll, I'll do anything I can to help that happen. My vision for the Sage pages is that this is a worldwide resource for family businesses. And uh, it's starting now and it's starting in the Midwest and you know, come get help early on and be part of it as it grows.
0: Can I ask you one uh, clarifying question about it um, before we let you go? Yeah. How yeah. How are you vetting out the resources that you're putting on there?
1: Yeah, good question. Well, I, I have my clear philosophy. I Every advisor needs to apply. And that application dives into the philosophy. I do an interview and I've already been told, Sarah, if you want to go worldwide, that's not scalable. But we're going to have to figure that out because I think it's important to look in people's eyes mm-hmm. and talk through what does it look like to be a part of this. Um, and then I'm doing lots of education for the family businesses that come through so that they're also helping me find great people who fit uh, with the philosophy. It's awesome. Well, this has been a
0: lot of fun. I appreciate you taking time out of your virtual day to to me and the (laughs) podcast.
1: Uh, It's been really fun, Ryan. Uh, Thanks for the opportunity to help your audience.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did, especially if you're in a family business. Doesn't mean that you're not gonna be able to have the hard conversations. Hopefully you're getting the tools and the education and you're equipping yourself to be able to have those hard conversations and be able to hopefully get to a successful outcome after that. I think the big takeaway is education can solve a lot of problems. Check out our intentional growth digital course. I just truly believe that the more you learn, the more you can navigate these conversations. And we walk through step-by-step all the five principles to give you the knowledge to be able to have these hard conversations that could save you millions of dollars, tons of headaches, tons of family problems, because you can articulate... Why companies are valued the way they are, all the different options, how to separate management roles from ownership, how to transition both of those different roles and be able to discuss with your executive team, your family, how the things that you want as an individual impact the financial targets of the value of the company and the different role transitions or ownership exits, all of those things are intertwined and the best way to understand how all those different data points connect is to learn how they all work together. Check it out. The intentional growth digital course is nine ninety five to do it yourself. You get the course for, you get all the material, all the content, all the videos, all the resources and education, and then you can also hire us for nineteen ninety five. Well, we're going to walk you through the digital course in thirty days, so you get the course plus the coaching for nineteen ninety five, and you can check out all these links in the show notes. With that being said, I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I will see you next week.